364, verse 2. We have heard the Macedonian call to the send the Lord, send the Lord. And a golden offering at the cross, we let send the Lord, send the Lord, send the Lord, the blessed Lord. Send the Last verse, let us not grow weary in the work of the send the light, send the light. Let us gather jewels for a crown of send the light, send the light, send the light, the blessed gospel. Let it shine from shore to shore, send the light. All right, good job. Be seated, and as you're seated, turn over to number 450. Number 450. short hymn, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Oops, I started the wrong key, sorry. <laughs> Sing together. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord. Precious Lord, linger near when my life is almost home. Hear my cry, hear my call, hold my hand lest I fall. Break my hand, precious Lord, lead me Hymn this evening, we're going to sing a patriotic song because this is the week of the 4th of July, number 646, and rarely do we sing all four stanzas of My Country Tis of Thee, so we're going to do that tonight. <laughs> My country tis of thee. Sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my father. 
us stand together as we sing the last ushers you come as we sing our father's god to the author of liberty to thee we sing long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light protect us from thy might Father, we're grateful tonight for the way that you have blessed us this day. We thank you for our church and the way that you allow us to serve in our community. I pray that you'll bless this time of giving. We pray that you'll multiply it many times around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Good to go here. Time. Three small children and just really knew that there was more to life, but I didn't know where to find it. We started going to church, and I, I really didn't want anything to do with church. You know, a lot of people say you view God as you view your father, and so I viewed him as waiting for me to do something wrong. I had to reveal who I really was and to accept the fact that I was a sinner, you know, that had fallen short of the glory of God, but at the same time, I was created in his image, and so my identity became more in him versus in my past and through that relationship is where the lord just um changes not only the desires of your heart but your trajectory for your future when we moved to memphis we thought this would be our forever home and so we quickly invested in relationships we bought some property out in Fayette County. During that transition of trying to figure out, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's when I signed up to go on a short-term missions trip. Whenever Shelton went to Honduras a couple of years ago, I thought that it was great for him. And when he came back, he was just on fire. Through each of us, really, is where the Lord revealed international missions.
Well, Brandy and I first met with uh, Steve Markham and Drew Tucker and just kind of sat around and be like, look, we're called to go internationally. And what do we do now? They weren't trying to give us some type of wisdom that they thought that they had. They were just pointing upward and say, hey, the Lord will make it clear to you. It's awesome that y'all are surrendered. Just keep putting yourself in a position that when he does make it clear to you that you're ready to go. Over about, what, eight months, we have sold our house, uh, got two cars up for sale, have gotten rid of about 90% of our stuff, have moved to seminary housing to an apartment. I, through David Coons, and he's a part of the IMB, and through the Southern Baptist Convention and through the Lottie Moon offering, the IMB for the last 170 years has continued to send out missionaries and given the missionaries the opportunity to go and share the gospel well. What was unique is that how the IMB was able to bring all of our experiences and not let anything go to waste, but to apply it all towards God's kingdom. We're so, so blessed to be able to partner with this church. Bellevue is our sending church. You know, IMB is the vehicle that we're using to go to South America, but this is our home. We are still part of the vine. The garden just got a little bigger. That there's a really good story from a couple there at uh, Bellevue Baptist Church is a uh, Baptist church there in Cordova, Tennessee, which is right outside Memphis. And this young couple here with two children, look like a teenage child, they felt God calling them into mission. So they sold everything and t- are beginning to take the steps of going to the mission field. And I think that's very powerful because it's showing that, number one, God still calls people to the mission field. We have a God and serve a God who's calling people out of the pews. And you say, well, I wonder where people get called from. That People get called from the pews. People sitting at home right now watching TV don't get called by the Lord because they're not, God works among the brethren, among the church folks. So it's us that God certainly calls, and then he equips with that. Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles here, Book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Now, if you just came in and you do not have a bulletin, you need to make sure you have it. Always want to make sure you have a bulletin because how we have sermon notes there. So you want to step in the back right there and go to our Welcome Center and pick up on the back side. You are fortunate. You have now just signed up for a 26-week sermon series on Sunday nights. I want you to make a commitment. I actually love Sunday night church because I have lots of time. You know, in the morning services, it's like you just watch the clock tick, tick. It's, there's, there's an anxiety that there's so many things going on. that. Uh, but Sunday night, you have a lot more freedom to certainly do that. And we are going to, the book of Acts is a book, I believe, that you need to know. Acts was, the author of Acts was Luke. And we just finished a month or so ago the book of Luke. We had gone through it for a year and a half. Now, we, we shouldn't spend a year and a half in the book of Luke is a very long book. Acts shouldn't take as long. The chapters aren't quite as long as Luke. But we are going to uh, kick this off here. Chapters 1 and 2 really set the tone for the entire book. So I want you to make a commitment on Sunday nights. Always be at church at 6 o'clock. You know, starting really the next what, five, six Sunday, really, I think we're about to go on a roll. We have Sunday night church all the way up. The next time we don't have it is Labor Day. So you can certainly make a commitment to be here at 6 o'clock. I mentioned the Welcome Center. Um, I want to encourage you, every time you walk into this building, you, you can help hold me accountable. I've now, I help recruit, the our Welcome Center is right there. That should be the base 
for when people are looking for something. I want to give an example. We had, uh, after the 9 o'clock service this morning, I believe they're sitting over there, these, this lady that said she lived in the neighborhood, I, I, she filled out a guest card and it went through, so it's already in the safe somewhere. First time ever came to her church, and she came, I think, with her, her neighbor or her mother, spoke very highly, said she'll be back. She comes to the Welcome Center with asking for a handout and information about Sunday school classes. Last week, we had a couple come after the 1109 service, came to the Welcome Center when the service was like at 1215, and said, we'd love to go to Sunday school. Where are the classes at? Every time you walk into that Welcome Center, you should see, whether 9 o'clock, Sunday school hour, or 1109, or 6 p.m., there should be somebody that provides you and instructs you with information. My two workers I have that are pretty much, they're, they're regular there. I have James, who's here, and I also have Matt Riley. But we need more than just two. If you are an outgoing person and you can give out information, you can be on the Welcome Center team. The Welcome Center team there stands really before and after the services, and you're ready to talk to folks. This, I can't stress how important this position is. And when you see guests, it's important that they fill out the connection card. A lot of times they won't do it until we ask them to back there, but if you ask them personally, they will do it, and they just drop it in the black box. That's important because I send them an email, and we follow up with a letter. If we don't receive information on folks, we have no idea how to tell them anything, like which Sunday school class attend or anything. So that's a very important area that when folks come to, that should be the home base for you can find out and learn anything. If you want to serve on the, at the Welcome Center right there, you need to let me know because we really need multiple folks there uh, doing that. Because with two services, it is actively being utilized with folks going to it wondering uh, what, what's going on with that. So I wanted to certainly share about that. <coughs> Acts chapter 1. This chapter, there's five sections here. You are going to love this book of the Bible. This is where the church was started. This is where we see the Holy Spirit coming. And the, the continuing presence of God is the Holy Spirit. That when we pray, when God moves, He works through His Holy Spirit. That exists today, right here on earth. And it was started in the book of Acts 2,000 years ago. So the books of Acts is really alive, and it continues on with that. So we're going to go through this. I'm going to break this into five sections, and we're going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to read each section. I'm going to stop. Key verse we're going to get to is when we get to verse 8. We're going to spend a good amount of time looking at that. Verse 1, Acts 1-1 in your Bible. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus. Luke is writing this. Theophilus is who he's writing it to. Luke was a physician. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So that phrase there, taken up, we're about to see that. That's a reference to the ascension. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus died on what we call Good Friday. He was resurrected on Sunday morning, three days later. 
in the way Jewish folks count three days later, the way we count them two days later. So then Jesus was resurrected on Sunday, and the Bible says that he was here on earth for 40 days. <clears throat> he appeared to many different types of folks for those 40 days. He pretty much went and visited the same places that he had been to. Then what happens is there is a Jewish feast called Pentecost. Pena means 55, so it's 50 days after Passover. So roughly 10 days after he ascended, then Pentecost is going to come. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came. And we know, based on the book of 1 Corinthians, that Jesus roughly appeared, the resurrected Jesus appeared to about 500 or so folks. So that's the timeline. Jesus died. He's resurrected. He spends 40 days on earth. He appears to roughly 500 people. He then goes to heaven, and then he tells everybody, you need to wait in Jerusalem because something incredible is going to happen. Don't leave. And then the Holy Spirit's going to come. So that's our story of what's happening. That's, that's the life of Christ here. <clears throat> verse, the latter part of verse 3. He's going to appear to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So th these are the instructions that we're about to see here that he is, um, uh, we're going to see here. You know, when we study the book of Acts, uh, what's important about this is we can't look at this as scholarship books. You can't, you can't look at this as just some casual, just trying to read, casual admirer saying, well, that's really interesting. You really have to look at this as a soldier. And the soldier, if, you, if you're a soldier, you look at things as a mission, meaning you're in wartime, and you, it's a continuing mission of the church. Because what's going to happen, the, the, the first couple of chapters, we see really just God just pouring out his Holy Spirit. This book ends. With Paul, I mean, he's about to be executed in Rome. He's a prisoner. He's being beaten. It's rough. There was like, there's a lot of suffering in the book of Acts. But it doesn't start that way. Th these are the glory chapters we see right here. Next section here, verse 4. When he was with them, he commanded, and we're talking about Jesus here. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. The Father's promise is the Holy Spirit. Now, we all know what the Holy Spirit is or who the Holy Spirit is. They didn't understand. They don't quite, the disciples don't fully understand what, what's about to happen. And if we lived, if we were one of the disciples and apostles, we wouldn't either. Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit. He spoke extensively in the Gospel of John about the Holy Spirit. But we're, we're being promised something to happen, but, but we don't know exactly what. So here's what he says. His father's promise, which he said, You have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Now, in the Bible, there's several different types of baptism. We receive what we call believer's baptism. We're baptized. Hopefully you've been baptized here in the baptistry. That's a symbol of your old life going down and your new life coming up. We are instructed to do that. Part of Jesus' great commission 
in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, is that we are to baptize people and lead them to Christ. They're saved. Then they receive believer's baptism. If you've never been baptized, you can talk to me. We schedule baptism for you. Baptism is important for believers to do that. Only believers get baptized. John was also baptizing people. John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River for repentance. They were coming to him and receiving this baptism. Jesus is saying there's going to be another baptism that's about to come. And that's going to be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what's going to happen in Acts chapter 2. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, when we get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit in our life. Now, if you were to go to a Pentecostal church, and I have family members who are Pentecostal, they will try to split these baptisms. They will say, in order to be saved, you need to receive a special baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's manifested when you speak in tongues. And you're going to see that in Acts chapter 2 next week, is speaking in tongues. But Jesus here is making a difference. The baptism we receive is a believer's baptism because when we were saved and we prayed and asked Jesus into our life, we received the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, Daniel, that's different than in Bible times. And the reason it's different from here is because we live after the Holy Spirit's come. The Holy Spirit at this point has not come. So the only baptism they were able to receive at this point was John's baptism. In the, in what he was doing in the Jordan River is just repenting of our sins and baptism of, of turning to the Lord. Because at this point, there still is no Holy Spirit, and Jesus is still talking to them. So it's yes, they could become a believer in Jesus, but uh, and certainly they are, but the doctrine of baptism isn't finalized until after the Holy Spirit comes. So that's what's happening here. That's real important to understand because some folks will try to ask you, well, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And especially if they have a Pentecostal background, what they're talking about is, has, you know, you got saved maybe at a young age, but has the Holy Spirit come upon you and you were able to speak in tongues and it displayed and made it authentic that you were saved. Let me just ask. Has anybody ever met anyone that talks like that? It talked to you. One, two, three, four, five. All right. So y'all, y'all starting to see it. You know, this is very common in Oklahoma where David Dell is from and where our voice of prayer is because of um, Oral Roberts University there in Tulsa that they teach this stuff. And it's, it's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that's where, um, and, and I want to tell you why that's erroneous also is in that, Pentecostal theology, they believe you can lose your salvation. So if you lose your salvation, in order to regain your salvation, you have to get receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit again. And that's not biblical. So what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about soon, in a few days, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to baptize you. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time. Again, they, they're totally missing it. Jesus here is talking about the, the, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit coming. And they are thinking, 
King David's about to come back on the throne, and I'm going to get a seat in his cabinet. And Jesus is going to be the new king. You see how they're missing it at this point. Jesus is very clear. He's talking about the, the Holy Spirit coming, and they're thinking we're going to make Israel great again. Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. That's a kind way of saying, guys, I'm not really going to answer that. God knows that type of stuff. You, you don't need to know what, what, what's going to happen about when Israel's going to become great again. But only God knows that. But for you. And he, so basically saying, I know what you're thinking, but here's your mission. Here it is. Here's our mission. Verse 8. Key Bible verse here. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. That is when you were saved. When you're saved, the Bible says you have received the Holy Spirit. You've received this power. God lives in you. And what happens? When you have Jesus Christ living inside you, the Holy Spirit, you then, as a response to that, become a witness. And what do we do? Here, look at this. Four different places. The Holy Spirit came to Jerusalem. They were all there in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came there. And they were actually at the same room that they also had the final Lord's Supper, or that, that final meal with Jesus before he was arrested and crucified. It says, you're going to become a witness right here in Jerusalem. And then in all Judea. Judea is the immediate area right outside of Jerusalem. And then it also goes on to say Samaria. So for us, to put it in our context, what he's saying is, you'll be my witnesses in, in Lexington. And then not only Lexington, you'll be my witness, you'll also be my witness in Kentucky. All the people here in Kentucky learn to, need to hear about me. But not only that, not only is it going to be Kentucky, it's going to be in the United States. You're going to be my witness. You're going to go throughout this country and be a great witness for Jesus. And then to the end of the earth, meaning everywhere. Our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ, is to be his representative. So when we live in a city, and we live in a country that has Gay Pride Week and Gay Pride Month and rainbow flags everywhere, do we jump on the bandwagon and go along with it? No, we're a witness. We stand on God's word. We say, I live in a lost city. I live in an unchurched country. I, live, I love, live among people who do not know Jesus. And people who do not know Jesus, we know by default, they're not going to live according to God's word. They're, by default, they're just going to go. It, the Bible describes it the days of Noah, the days of Lot. Just people doing whatever they want to do. There's literally no morality. Or morality will change by the season. But we as believers, what Jesus is saying is you're going to be different. You're going to be a believer who is built on conviction. You're going to be someone who's going to represent me. You know, uh, yesterday was here at, in Lexington a very big event for the homosexual community called a, a, a Pride Festival downtown, their, their big event. Pride Festival Parade, what it was called, Pride Festival. And... Um, I was reading a newspaper. I, you know, I'm a newspaper reader. I was reading about it. 
and I think I think it was in today's paper, and there was an article about how 20 churches now had booths down there supporting them. Churches. <clears throat> and what, what's wrong with that is one of the directors made a comment of that because they called uh, these organizations, these churches, faith-based. And if you read that article in the Herald-Leader, it says, there's a guy who's over it says, yeah, there's a difference between faith-based and Bible-based organizations and faith-based and Bible-based churches. Don't miss that phrase I just said. Faith-based means we just have faith in whatever or whoever we want to. Bible-based churches wouldn't be down there. There is a huge difference between those two. Faith-based, anything goes. You have faith in whatever you want to. If you're a Bible-based believer, if you're a church, if you're a Bible-based Christian for the Lord, there's certain things you're not going to participate in because it, why? It goes against the Bible. Bible-based means I follow the Scriptures. And the Scripture says LGBT values are wrong. So Jesus is telling you and I that we are going to be His witnesses. So if we're going to be His witness, Broadway Baptist, my life, our church, your lifestyle and what you do, it has to line up with what Jesus and the Bible says and declares. And you really need to ask. I want you to ask, think about that quote. Faith-based versus bible Is your relationship to God, your relationship to Christ, is it faith-based or is it Bible-based? Because if it's just faith-based, if it's not rooted in conviction of Scripture, you can go down a road that's going to lead wherever you want it to go. But if, it is, if you're a Bible-based believer, then you are a witness of Jesus, and you are nailed down. Your mobility is with the Lord in the Scriptures. And Jesus is telling you and I, here in 2019, we're to be His witness everything we do. That means part of... Part of our mission here, this couple that we just showed a video that is going to South America, they said, leaving their church from Tennessee, that's the utter, that's the, that's the ends of the earth there. They were willing to say, I'm willing to go. Now, some of us aren't willing to go, to, aren't able to go to South America, but all of us can go across the street. All of us can be a witness here in our city. And you say, Daniel, I'm not a missionary there. Well, according to right here, it says you are. You can be a missionary right here in Lexington. There are lost people in our city, thousands and thousands of them that do not know the Lord. And we have a responsibility. Listen, if you can't do missions in Lexington, what on earth thinks you're going to be able to do it in South America, the other ends of the earth? All missions starts at home. You know, when's the last time just, I want y'all to think about, answer, answer these yourself. You ever go through a drive-thru? Do you have gospel tracts that you give away? When you uh, talk to someone, or do you give them a bulletin? Do you invite them to church? Even if you're not able to do a full gospel presentation to someone, and a lot of times you're not, but anyone could just say, hey, we, I want to invite you to my Sunday school class. I'll invite you to church. I'll meet you at the Welcome Center, entrance A. We'll be waiting on you. 
Just park out front. We've got special places for you. Anything like that where you're inviting other folks to the church, you're being a witness. Guys, this is not an option for us. Jesus is saying, he's saying, he said, you're not, if you want, you could be my witness. He says, you will be my witness. Part about being a believer in Jesus Christ is you and I will be witnesses. If you're not a witness for Jesus, are you in Jesus? Do you have faith in Jesus? Has Jesus saved you? Because part of being a believer is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a gospel witness to other folks. Look here in your bulletin. Pull it out right here. Look, Jesus's, these are Jesus' last words on earth. I think, uh, I think we have them up here on the screen here. They're in your bulletin. If you're not, I'll just go through them. The people who witness. Who are the people who witness? All believers. That's the people who witness. That's us. The path of a witness is suffering. Now, you, we don't see suffering right now, but I want you all to know. You, we go through this book of, book of Acts. Suffering is all about, about what's happening. It started out easy, but it, by chapter 3, folks are already in jail getting beat. It, it, it went downhill very quickly for them. The power of a witness is the Holy Spirit. This is why it's important for us to know the Lord. Holy Spirit gives us the words to say. The peoples in need of a witness, who? The nations. There are people who are in need of this witness. People. The passion of a witness. Who wants us? Who's driving us to be a witness? It's Jesus. So the people, the path, the power, the peoples, and the passion all point us to being a witness for Jesus Christ. Jesus wants you to, be, to start thinking, God, how, how can I be a witness? How can I make a difference? How can I use my short time here on earth to make a kingdom impact? That's what he's telling us to do. You know, what a blessing that you get to go to heaven and you will see folks that you led to the Lord, that you were, or at least planted a seed in their life that later on will, will, will mature, that will grow, that folks will get saved from. Keep going here in your Bible. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. The ascension, next section here. After he has said this, look at this. this is, those were his last words on earth, Acts 1.8. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching. And a cloud took him out of their sight. There goes Jesus. Jesus is occurring on the Mount of Olives. This is right outside of Jerusalem. All the folks there are standing there looking at him. <clears throat> you know, I went to Israel, Sherry and I did, in um, January. First time ever. And I was there. And in our little guide, it says in there that we were going to get to go see the place where Jesus ascended. And, and it's unusual because the guides are, um, are, 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 are Jewish. So they were, he's not a believer. Uh, he's a fool. He knows all about Christianity, but he himself is not a believer. And I asked him, we, were, we had time at the end, I said, are we going to go see this location? Because we were at the Mount of Olives. We weren't far from it. He says, are we going to go see a location where they believe that, historians believe that Jesus ascended? And he says, oh, you don't need to see that. I go, well, why not? He says, it's now a mosque. 
there's a, a, a Muslim church, a Muslim mosque that sits there. And it says, there's really nothing to see unless you're a Muslim. You wouldn't want to go really go see that spot. And I thought about that. How sad. The very last place that Jesus was standing on earth is now to a false religion. I mean, you can't get it. The, the, where his feet lifted and went up are now to a religion that points people away from Jesus. That should just remind us that our witness, it never, it should never end. It does never end. Jesus Christ wants us to be a witness to the Muslims who have built a church on the location of where, um, of where they believe Jesus ascended at, ascended or built a mosque where they believe Jesus ascended at. Now, so these are what happened. He goes up and they're watching him in a cloud. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? The same Jesus who's been taken away from you into heaven will come to the, in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. I want to tell you why probably Jesus sent these two angels. Because if he hadn't sent these angels, there would probably be a shrine there today. People just saying, this was the spot. And just staring and gazing. They'd still be there waiting for him to come back. So his feet were right here. The, the, the angels had to come and say, guys, listen, we're not here to just, this spot is not holy. And certainly not holy now since it's a mosque. This spot isn't holy. This is where he went to be with the Father. Now what's important is you get out and go do work. Like we're not just going to hang out here and gaze and make this a memorial. The angels were reminding him. He, when, the way that he left, he's coming back. And that's important. We, we now are in this period. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. He left at the Mount of Olives. But Jesus Christ, this Bible verse just said in verse 11, he is coming the same way. That means he's going to come in the air. He's going to come from the sky. Verse 12. Now look at the unity here among the church. They're united among prayer. The believers start spending time in prayer. Jesus is gone at this point. When they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away, when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. The room upstairs is what we call the upper room. That's where they had their last supper, the final meal there with Jesus. And here's who the folks were. These were the disciples, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Eleven folks. They were, look at this, they were continually united in prayer along with the women, um, some of those women were probably their wives, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. You know what united these folks? They met there and prayed. Remember, Jesus had told them to stay, so they're just here meeting and praying. We also have to remember at this point, the church had no persecution. So there was, you're talking about 11 men and a few women. And you say, well, Dean, what about the Jewish leaders? They're happy because Jesus is gone. So their, their business is taken care of. They paid off the Roman soldiers to lie about why Jesus was resurrected, about how the disciples came and stole the body. So in their mind, this problem has been solved. But really, their problem is just about to begin. 
because the Holy Spirit's going to come and the church is going to set on fire. So now what we have here, this is our last section we're coming to. This is important because we're going to see how we, we seek the will of God. And what's important for us here is Jesus wanted 12 disciples and we have 11 because Judas hung himself. He's dead. He committed suicide. And there's a guy named Matthias who's going to be chosen to replace Judas. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stung up, stood up among the brothers and sisters. So what we see here is Peter is the leader of the disciples. He's standing up. The number of people who were together was about 120. So there you have 120 folks. That's how large the church is. So it's not really not that. It's probably about three times, four times larger than this crowd. It's like 1109 service. That's, that's, that's the church. That's all it is, a very small group of folks. The number of people who were together was 120, and he he said, this is Peter speaking, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and shared in the ministry. So Judas was part of everything they were doing. He was one of them, but he was not one of them. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first. His body burst open. His intestines spilled out. What he's talking about saying, what is Peter talking about? Book of Matthew records what happened. Judas received 30 silver coins for betraying Jesus. He got his money. The chief priest, he went and kissed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. What happened? Jesus was arrested. And then Judas went home and realized, okay, this guy's now crucified. I um, feel a little guilty about this, so I'm going to take my money, and I'm going to go give it back to the people. He had remorse, not repentance, remorse. There's a difference. So he goes to the chief priest and says, I, I, I'm going to give you my money back. I want a refund on Jesus. I, I, I couldn't do this. And they're like, we can't take that money. It has blood all over it. That's, that's blood money because Jesus is dead now, so that money is your money. So Jesus He's realizing when someone turns you down with your money, what do you do? You just throw the money at them and walk away. Go, there you go. So now they're sitting in church, and there's a big bag of money right there. And what do we do with it? We go out and buy a graveyard with the money for poor folks who don't have any money to get buried. So that's, and that field is called Potter's Field. Have you ever heard, have you ever been somewhere that has a Potter's Field? That comes from the Bible. That's, that's a, a graveyard for, uh, for poor folks. Moving along here, so that's what that's what he's talking about right here. That's what Peter's referring. And then he went and hung himself on a tree. The tree limb broke, and he fell da- down over a cliff, and, uh, and his whole body bursts open. Verse 19, this became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that their, and their language is called Hakadelma, that is, field of blood. And that's the, that's the location there where Judas died. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. So now we're going to fill that position. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. That's three years. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. So Peter's realizing we need to replace Judas. But we want someone who's been there from the beginning. 
You know, a lot of time in a church where, um, and even in our church, if you're a man and you join this church tonight, do you know it takes two years until you're eligible? If you've never been ordained a deacon, it takes two years to become a um, deacon at our church. Now, if you've been ordained in another church, you only have to be a member here for one year. You say, why, why would they do this? They did this, and folks do this because of this verse here. They're saying, Peter and the disciples are saying, we need to find someone to replace Judas. I need another leader. I need to add somebody to the, to the disciples, disciples' team. But I don't want a rookie. I don't want somebody who just became a believer and just joined the club a month ago. I want somebody who is there from the beginning for John's baptism all the way up to this ascension where he just went into heaven. That's three years. You know, some churches, you, in order to be a Sunday school teacher, you might have to be a, a member there for one year. And the reason why is you don't want someone very young in the faith to step into a position and then realize, uh-oh, this is a little bit more challenging than I thought. So there was, the, the, there was requirements on uh, how long he, he had been there. So that's, that's what they're wanting here. So look, they found two candidates. So they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, look at this. They prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. This is how they selected leaders. Now remember, this is how it was done before the Holy Spirit. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots. The way they cast lots in Bible times, like rolling a dice. They cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias. And he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, in your light little bulletin, I want you to look at this, because this is interesting. We see an example here in the Bible of how the disciples followed God's will, and they did this. This is before the Holy Spirit came, because he doesn't come until chapter 2, and this is the end of chapter 1. So the way God would typically move is you would pray, you would fast, and then you would cast lots. And that we, you would trust, Lord, where this lot fell is what I'm going to do. We don't have to cast lots today. We now have the Holy Spirit, and he guides us. And here's how. You want to know God's will, here's how you re- he can figure it out. God's revealed will. There's a revealed will of God, and that's found in our Bible. This is what 95% of the time you will know God's will because it's right here in the Bible. So if, if people start, if someone were to come to me and had been to the pride parade yesterday, and they say, Daniel, uh, what, is, what do you think about homosexuality? What do you think about uh, things going on downtown? I don't have to say, well, you know, I used to believe this, but... Now I believe this because times are changing and that was, you know, the Supreme Court says none of that hogwash. It doesn't matter at all. The Bible's already spoken about that. We already know God's plan for sexuality. It's been revealed. 95% of our mission, what we need to know, is very clear in the Scriptures. We know our duty, our job to be a witness. We know God's sexual ethics. We know God's expectations for believers. We know what we need to be doing daily. We trust the Bible's authority. We allow the Bible to interpret our lives. We do what the Bible says. That is God's revealed will. This here is God's revealed will. 
If you want to know God, you need to, we obviously, you need to study your Bible. This is why we go to Sunday school. This is why we grow. Now, there, every now and then, there's going to be a question that comes up. What do we do? Who do we select? And here would be an example of what we call God's concealed will. God's concealed will means, should I marry Sherry Osmond? Is she the one? Is this person for me? What home do I buy? I want to move. We need a new house. But God, I want a new house. I want to be in your will. I know you have the perfect house for me. God, I want a new church. I'm going church shopping. But I don't want any church. I want the right church. That is what we call God's concealed will. Meaning, I don't open up my Bible and there it is. There's my house. There's my church. There's my new wife. We have to seek the Lord and ask him to make it clear to us who he wants. So here's what we do. We have to gather all the information. Meaning, you don't just go into it blindly. If you're dating someone, you need to know who, who is this person. What's their background? If you're, if you're buying a house, like, I want, to build, I want a house inspection. Like, is it going to fall apart if I buy it? If you go shopping for a new church, say, what's their doctrinal beliefs? What do they teach about homosexuality? What do they think about the Bible? Like, I, I'm, and I want to say something. Brother and I have heard, have this conversation. I am shocked that few, very few people ask what church's doctrinal beliefs are. I mean, most folks go to a church because the preacher's cool or he dresses neat. They like the band. The music minister's hip. I mean, whatever. I mean, it's, their best friends go there. The kids like the youth group. They've got good Awana program, great Bible school. I like my Sunday school teacher. I mean, it's unusual. It's usually the other stuff. But what happens is Jesus wants us to make, we, we need to know, okay, I want to gather the information. I want to make sure if I make a decision that I know the facts. We seek God in prayer. We should be praying about this. Obviously, we don't cast lots, but God does work through his Holy Spirit. He answers that. You pray for a big decision you're going to make. Sherry Osmond and I prayed about coming here. We fasted over it. We didn't take it lightly. And then after that, after you gather your information, you seek God in prayer. What do you do? You trust God's sovereignty. And what that means is you don't just say, well, I was married for three or four weeks, but I want to I return her. No, you say, no, this is the person. This is the church. This is the home. This is the job. This is what it is. And yes, there's going to be problems with it. But you trust in God's sovereignty. He knows what's best. He knows nothing's perfect, but I'm trusting the Lord, and we move on. Do you know, if folks followed this, gather all the information, seek God in prayer, trust God's sovereignty, do you know the divorce rate would go down? People changing churches every two years would stop. People hating all their friends and neighbors, not getting along with other people, it would just end. Because you would trust the Lord. It says, Lord, I trust you. I did the best research I can. I prayed about it. I fasted about it. I laid a fleece out to you before it. And Lord, I know you're going to, whatever the answer is, I'm going to go with it. 
I'm not going to change two or three weeks down the road. And that's what happens for us. Now, in Bible times, they cast lots. For us, if it's not God's revealed will, if it's a concealed will, where it's, a, it's not resolved in, involved in Scripture, you have to spend time about making a decision. Now, what can be somewhat challenging is, okay, God, what's the difference between God's cons- revealed will versus His concealed will? Many of us, we can get them mixed up. Serving in a church, tithing, being a witness, all of that is God's revealed will. God wants you to serve. The question is, do I serve? It's, Lord, where? Lord, I'm yours. I want to be a missionary. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a witness here in Lexington. We have to be careful that we're not making things that are really God's revealed will that's so clear for us to all of a sudden make it a concealed will. Listen, if you know someone, if you work with someone, you have family members that don't know the Lord, I promise you it is God's will that you tell them about Jesus. That's that's an easy prayer to pray. In fact, you'll get an answer right away. God will make it clear. He'll even provide you the opportunity to tell someone else about the Lord. That's an answer that you're going to get affirmative. Because God died for the world. He wants to see people saved. It's right here in Acts 1.8. Wrapping all this up, what do we see here? God is revealing to us tonight, and also through the book of Acts, that Jesus came. He has told his people, says God, he says, guys, I need you all to get ready. Because something incredible is going to happen. We, they're basically, they're getting, they're getting the disciples. Matthias had to join the team. Jesus is telling them, just spend time in prayer, and I want you to wait and see what's going to happen. And that's when Pentecost in the Holy Spirit comes. Look, God, I thank you for your word. I pray tonight, as we have our invitation and conclude our service, Lord, I pray that you speak to us. Lord, make it very clear to us that you have a revealed will and you have a concealed will. Lord, 95% of the stuff is so clear to us. We already know it's not a mystery. Lord, I pray that when there's times in our life that we do not know, that we gather the information, we seek you in prayer, and we trust the answer. Lord, don't let us be wishy-washy Christians. Lord, give us the power that you spoke about in Acts 1.8. Lord, give us this boldness that we are witnesses right here in our city. God, I pray this invitation. If there's anybody here that needs to, to follow you or maybe join this church or get baptized. Lord, there's no reason to put off a decision for following you. We give you this service and invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We close every single worship service with an invitation. I'm going to invite everyone to stand. If you want to make a decision tonight, you want to follow Jesus, as always, I'll be standing out front waiting for you to respond. We'll sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. 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 No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow.
so much for our invitation. I want to remind you, this coming week on Wednesday is July 3rd. That night, we do not have anything going on here on Wednesday night. So it's your opportunity to spend the 4th of July with your family. I will see you all again. Our next worship service is at 9 a.m. on July 7th, next Sunday. So that's our next event here at church. Oh, we're going to close with singing the chorus of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Our God is marching on. Have a nice 4th of July.